Section 36 of A Failure of Initiative. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Failure of Initiative, Final Report of the Select Bipartisan Committee to Investigate the Preparation for and Response to Hurricane Katrina by the United States House of Representatives. Law Enforcement, Part 1. The members of the public safety community aggressively moved into areas immediately after the storm passed, and saved many lives and brought order. This was a very difficult mission, as much of the public safety infrastructure, police and sheriff's stations, patrol cars, and communications, had been destroyed in the coastal communities. William L. Carwile III, Hurricane Katrina Federal Coordination Officer for Mississippi, Select Committee Hearing, December 7, 2005. Summary. A wide variety of conditions led to lawlessness and violence in areas hit by Hurricane Katrina. Lack of food, water, and electricity. Uncertainty about evacuations. Even the loss of hope. Looting occurred in several locations. In some cases, people looted stores for their survival and to diminish suffering, taking items such as food, water, clothing, flashlights, batteries, and camping supplies. At least some police departments were involved in breaking into stores and commandeering supplies needed for their departments, as well as those needed for feeding people in shelters before state or federal assistance arrived. One New Orleans physician said police helped him break into a pharmacy to get needed medications and supplies. In other cases, people looted for purely criminal purposes, apparently taking items for personal use or resale that would not be needed or were useless without electricity, for example televisions. General unrest and lawlessness arose in crowded areas where people were uncertain about their survival or rescue or prospects for evacuation. In some areas, the collapse or absence of law enforcement exacerbated the level of lawlessness and violence. Several police departments lost dispatch and communication capabilities, police vehicles, administrative functions such as booking, and jails to confine arrested suspects. Tremendous additional burdens were imposed on the police, like search and rescue operations, that took priority over normal police functions. The extent of crime and lawlessness is difficult to determine, partly because of the loss of police record-keeping during the disaster, and partly because of unsubstantiated reporting by the media. The breakdown of law enforcement was particularly notable in New Orleans. Despite the well-known threat from flooding, the New Orleans Police Department had not taken basic steps to protect its resources and ensure continuity of operations. For example, communications nodes, evidence rooms, and even emergency generators were housed in lower floors susceptible to flooding. When the levees broke and the floodwaters overtook police headquarters and district offices, the department lost its command and control and communications functions. Police vehicles, believed to be moved out of harm's way, were lost to the floodwaters. Hundreds of New Orleans Police Department officers went missing, some for legitimate reasons and some not, at a time when they were needed most. 
This left the city unable to provide enough manpower and other resources to maintain law and order at shelters and on the streets. Looting broke out in the downtown section of the city, particularly along Canal Street. There were also reports, currently under investigation by the Louisiana Attorney General, that New Orleans police officers were involved in stealing vehicles from a car dealership. Even when police were present to restore law and order, they did not have the resources to arrest, book, and detain suspects. Other parts of the city, according to witnesses, were relatively calm despite the lack of law enforcement personnel. Public communications is a key aspect of emergency management, and this function has its own emergency support function in the NRP. In Louisiana, and particularly New Orleans, the federal, state, and local governments did not appear to have a public communication strategy to utilize the media. This problem was particularly severe in the area of law enforcement and crime. While the media played a positive role in many aspects, such as providing situational awareness to government authorities, it also played a negative role in the often unsubstantiated reporting of crime and lawlessness, undermining the accuracy and value of that awareness. Media reports of violence often gave credence to rumors that were either false or highly exaggerated. Police officials did not have a strategy to get ahead of the information curve to use the media to the public's advantage and help quell rumors. In fact, Mayor Ray Nagin and the Chief of Police repeated rumors of rampant criminality to the national media, contributing to the exaggerated image of utter lawlessness. Many of these reports, particularly of unchecked violence in the Superdome, appear to have been unsubstantiated. Nevertheless, the hyped media coverage of violence and lawlessness, legitimized by New Orleans authorities, served to delay relief efforts by scaring away truck and bus drivers, increasing the anxiety of those in shelters, and generally increasing the resources that needed to be dedicated to security. Law and order were eventually restored as local law enforcement officers were removed from search and rescue, reassigned to law enforcement missions, and supplemented first by state National Guard troops, then by other state and local police, through the Emergency Management Assistant Compact, EMAC, process. The National Guard played a substantial role in providing security and restoring law and order. The Louisiana National Guard was deployed before landfall, and provided security at the Superdome that helped maintain order there. Once looting broke out in New Orleans, guardsmen also patrolled the streets to restore law and order. The Alabama National Guard was also deployed before landfall, providing a security task force for Mobile and Baldwin counties. National Guards from other states sent units through the EMAC process to perform security or law enforcement duties. For example, Arkansas provided 310 guardsmen from a military police company to provide security in Mississippi. While not immediately deployed, Department of Defense, DOD, active security forces also played a role in restoring and maintaining law and order. For example, the U.S. Army's 82nd Airborne arrived in New Orleans on September 3, five days after landfall, and, according to the city's Director of Homeland Security, 
had a calming effect on the populace by their mere presence on the street. Precautions were taken to prevent DOD active duty forces from direct law enforcement missions, thereby avoiding posse comitatus issues. Civilian law enforcement agencies from other states and localities also provided personnel through the EMAC process to supplement beleaguered state and local police. For example, South Carolina provided 118 law enforcement personnel with equipment to Mississippi. Federal law enforcement agencies also played a major role in restoring law and order after Hurricane Katrina. Specific agencies included the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, the Drug Enforcement Agency, DEA, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, ATF, the U.S. Marshal Service, USMS, the U.S. Secret Service, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, the U.S. Border Patrol, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and the Federal Air Marshal Service, FAMS. The first priority for most of these agencies was implementing continuity of operations plans, locating their people, securing their workplaces and sensitive information, getting supplemental manpower from other field offices, and otherwise fully restoring their mission capabilities. These federal agencies then turned to assisting state and local law enforcement agencies. These agencies brought a wide array of capabilities and tactical teams to help restore and maintain law and order. Most of the federal personnel were deputized as state law enforcement officials, so they could fully partner with local police by participating in patrols, investigating crimes, and arresting suspects. The FBI deployed its Critical Incident Response Group, and ATF deployed one of its special response teams. ATF located and inspected federal firearms and explosives licensees to determine if their facilities were secure. USMS assisted with evacuating prisoners from flooded jails into federal facilities. FAMS provided security at the New Orleans airport. Federal agencies also helped establish interagency and intergovernmental mechanisms, such as Common Credentialing and a Law Enforcement Coordination Center, to coordinate the activities of the multitude of federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies. Finally, these federal agencies provided equipment, supplies, and other resources to local law enforcement agencies to help them start rebuilding their capabilities. Finding A variety of conditions led to lawlessness and violence in hurricane-stricken areas. Several conditions led to lawlessness and looting. A wide variety of conditions led to lawlessness and violence in areas hit by Hurricane Katrina. Bobby Strahan, Pearl River County Emergency Management Agency Director, said the lack of critical commodities for those residents who did not evacuate, or returned quickly, and crowds seeking shelter at a limited number of facilities with generators, may have been behind some of the post-landfall requests for security and law enforcement assistance. According to Strahan, Pearl River experienced some looting and other crimes in the immediate aftermath of the storm. Once the county was able to secure and distribute limited amounts of food, ice and water, what it could gather from its own, plus assistance from the state of Florida, these security problems largely dissipated.
Similarly, those who did not evacuate, or returned quickly, may have contributed to significant security challenges at some of Mississippi's health care facilities in the affected areas. According to Dr. Brian Amy, the state health officer of Mississippi, most of those facilities had generators and a limited power supply. This caused them to quickly attract the attention of displaced residents, who were drawn to the lights and the possibility they might seek shelter there, and created what Amy termed an overflow situation, resulting in security issues at the facilities. In Louisiana, officials cited the lack of food, water, electricity, and uncertainty about evacuations as reasons for lawlessness and looting. Even Governor Kathleen Blanco said she sympathized with people who looted stores to survive. Looting occurred in several locations. Mississippi experienced some looting, armed robbery, and crowd control problems immediately after the storm. Security-related requests the state received from local officials included 1. Nighttime Military Police, MP, security at pharmacy and drug dispensing operations in several coastal cities, 2. Help with security issues at an understaffed shelter that was about to receive evacuees from New Orleans, 3. Law enforcement personnel to deal with reported theft and carjacking threats at a medical center in Biloxi, and 4. Additional National Guard protection to deal with looters at the South Mississippi Regional Center in Long Beach. In Louisiana, state police officials said looting was most concentrated in the New Orleans area. However, major looting was generally limited to the Canal Street area, and ended by Tuesday, August 30. According to these officials, in some cases people looted stores for their survival, taking items such as food, water, clothing, flashlights, batteries, and camping supplies. In other cases, people looted for criminal purposes, apparently taking items for their personal use or resale that would not be needed or were useless without electricity, for example, televisions. Once most perpetrators realized they had no way to transport their loot and no place to store it, they often abandoned it. State police officials said several blocks away from the looting area, many large electronic items and appliances were found abandoned in their original boxes. At least some police departments were involved in breaking into stores and taking supplies. Plaquemines Parish Sheriff Jeff Hingle said his officers broke into stores and commandeered food, water, and medicine. Some of these items were needed to sustain the sheriff's office and other emergency personnel. Most of the items taken, however, were food and medical items for the growing population at the parish's designated shelter of last resort. The shelter had been originally set up to house the police, other emergency workers, and those with special needs. However, after landfall, the shelter became crowded with additional evacuees or people rescued by boat. Eventually, the numbers increased to about 400, and since state and federal relief was slow in arriving, the sheriff's officers commandeered needed items. The sheriff said he later contacted the stores and asked for forgiveness, which was granted under the circumstances. In Alabama, there were almost no reports of lawlessness, looting, or other crimes. Officials said this was because Hurricane Katrina did not hit Alabama as hard as it hit the other states. 
In addition, Alabama's law enforcement infrastructure was not as severely damaged and remained functional in the immediate aftermath of the hurricane. General unrest and violence occurred in crowded areas. General unrest and lawlessness arose primarily in crowded areas where people were uncertain about their survival, or rescue, or prospects for evacuation. For example, local officials in Mississippi asked the state to send National Guard soldiers to provide security and crowd control at a Red Cross shelter because of chaotic conditions and the shelter director's belief that help was needed to prevent potential behavioral problems. Some of the most notorious locations for unrest were in New Orleans, at the Superdome, the Convention Center, and the Cloverleaf, as discussed in the evacuation chapter. The conditions at the Superdome, as described in a National Guard report, illustrate the desperation felt by the crowd inside. Quote, the water pressure declined steadily over the first several days, and failed to provide toilet function on or about Wednesday the 31st of August. Unfortunately, many of the toilets had overflowed by then, and foot traffic distributed fecal material and urine throughout the facility. The warm temperature, combined with the flood waters on the lower level, rotting food and other refuse, human and animal, pets, waste material, and the aroma of unwashed humans, produced an increasingly nauseous smell in the place. Louisiana National Guard personnel said a lack of hope was also a factor in the Superdome, with the crowd becoming restless and, in isolated incidents, violent. These people had lost their homes and belongings, had to suffer unbearable conditions, and were uncertain about their future. Exacerbating the problem were continuing delays in getting buses to evacuate the Superdome, as discussed in the evacuation chapter. After people had been told for several days they would be evacuated the next day, the buses did not arrive in large numbers, and people did not see any progress. The collapse or absence of law enforcement exacerbated lawlessness. In some areas, the collapse or absence of law enforcement exacerbated the level of lawlessness and violence. For example, several police departments lost their dispatch and communication functions, police vehicles, administration functions such as booking, and jails to confine arrested suspects. Tremendous additional burdens were imposed on the police, such as search and rescue, that took priority over normal police missions. In Mississippi, massive damage to police and sheriff cars and stations emergency response vehicles, and emergency operations centers made it very difficult to maintain law and order. According to William Carwile, the FEMA Federal Coordinating Officer for Mississippi, much of this public safety infrastructure was destroyed in the coastal counties. Mayor Thomas Longo of Waveland said the city staged at various points around the area some of the resources it expected to need to respond to the storm's damage, including dump trucks and front-end loaders. Waveland also staged some of these resources about 10 miles north of the city as a backup in the event of a catastrophe. Nonetheless, despite those preparations, the hurricane destroyed the resources Waveland had staged north of the city, as well as much of what remained in the city itself. Waveland lost all of its police cars, in addition to other emergency vehicles, 
and the storm destroyed all of Waveland's public buildings, severely limiting its ability to mount a response to the storm. Also in Mississippi, Hancock County lost its emergency operations center, the location from which it expected to manage the county's response to the storm, to severe flooding soon after the hurricane hit. Pearl River County lost its emergency operations center in the early hours of the storm due to wind and water damage that knocked out its emergency backup generator and caused other damage, making the center inoperable. These losses degraded the ability to maintain law and order. In Louisiana, there were similar losses of law enforcement infrastructure, in both rural and urban areas, that weakened the law enforcement community's ability to function. The lack of preparation and almost total loss of police capabilities in New Orleans are addressed in the next finding. Plaquemines Parish, in contrast to New Orleans, appeared to take many precautions before Katrina made landfall. According to Plaquemines Parish Sheriff Jeff Hingle, all police vehicles were moved and parked on high ground. Only one or two vehicles were slightly damaged when flying debris cracked their windows. Before landfall, the sheriff's office gathered all administrative records, loaded them into U-Haul trailers, and moved them to safe locations in the north. In addition, Plaquemines Parish evacuated all its prisoners in advance to upstate facilities. After landfall, the Plaquemines Parish Sheriff's Office was immediately able to conduct search and rescue missions, along with some embedded Louisiana National Guard and Coast Guard personnel who had radios. The sheriff reported no major law enforcement issues, in part because his office could function immediately after the storm. The full extent of crime and lawlessness is difficult to determine, partly because of the loss of police record-keeping during the disaster, and partly because of unsubstantiated reporting by the media, discussed below. End of section 36